0: The Mac Observer's Mac GeekGab number 390 Premium for Thursday, April 5th, 2012. Good hey, evening, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac GeekGab Premium. The show where you send in your questions, premium questions, you send in your tips, premium tips. We try to provide some premium tips of our own. We certainly provide premium answers to you, our premium listeners. And here in the premium suburb of Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. I'm just in the run-of-the-mill suburb here. I don't think in so. Fairfield,
1: Connecticut. I think
0: Fairfield, Connecticut might qualify as being far more premium than uh, than Durham, New Hampshire here. No cheap uh, coach uh, class uh, regular, uh, regular uh, tips and
2: questions going on here today. <laughs> that's,
0: <laughs> right. that's right. Come Every on. seat
2: here that's right. is first class. That's right. You're not in steerage today, folks. That's right.
0: So that's Pilot Pete. Jonathan- he- Oh, John, John F. Braun, th- Fairfield, Connecticut. Fairfield, yeah, yeah. Had you already introduced yourself? I don't or no, think you did. I think I just oh. stepped on him. Oh, okay. Oh, I stepped on him first, him, certainly. Yeah. But no. <laughs> I'll take the blame on that one. Sorry, John. Go ahead and introduce yourself one last time.
1: Well, you want me to yet again time. introduce myself as John F. Braun from the, the humble hamlet of Fairfield, Connecticut?
0: No, no, no. It's to introduce yourself as the esteemed Mr. John F. Braun from the premium suburb of
1: Fairfield, Connecticut. I forgot my boots.
0: and last but not least
2: it is uh, pilot Pete and another part of the premium town of Durham.
0: uh, We make fun, but, uh, but we do certainly appreciate your support and, uh, and your subscription here. And it really, it it is, it is what allows us to have the fun that we do. And, and uh, we, we look forward to doing this every time that we do it. So uh, let's start off with, uh, with a tip in a recent preview, pre premium, you know, I'd said it enough. You'd think I'd get it it's right. It's easy for you to say. No, apparently not. <laughs> uh, yeah, First day with the new lips. Uh, Kevin writes, uh, I was listening to the previous show where you were talking about watching and remounting Apple file protocol AFP volumes. Uh, he says an application we used to use was called Mount Watcher from plumamazing.com. dot com. And uh, and sure enough, there it is. It's uh, it's 18 bucks. And uh, it's an application that just sits there, and it uh, organizes, automates, and monitors the mounting of Windows, SMB, and Apple AFP volumes, shares, and disks. So it will make sure that things automatically mount when they should be mounting. So you can go check that out. Thanks, Kevin. That's good stuff. Uh, Any thoughts on that, John, before we move on to Bjorn here? No. Good. Awesome. Look at this it's moving at premium speed barrel barrel ahead brother <laughs> set the gear shift to premium baby uh, but i like this next one cuz
1: it, it it gets geeky i
0: think mhm so uh we talked about on on a previous show uh we talked about flip for mac and on 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 show 387 we talked about flip for mac and uh, QuickTime plugins and and uh, and John, you brought up Parian uh, as well, or I brought up Perry for components, up flip, flip for Mac QuickTime components. Thank you. That's right. And uh, and so as we always do, we alert folks when we've discussed their products on the show. And uh, and one of the benefits of that is if there's any additional information or if we got something wrong, uh, they have, you know, an opportunity to hear what we said. And so uh, so we heard from Bjorn Adamski over. At uh, at flip for Mac. In fact, he he's the product manager for flip for Mac. Uh, So he says uh, for flip for Mac WMV, I can assure you that we have very high quality standards is WMV is the official Windows media solution on the Mac and is supported and hosted by Microsoft, which, of course, is true. Uh, He says, uh, since flip for mac WMV is the only QuickTime component that handles Windows media files, there is little chance that it would conflict with others. He says, we only have noticed this once so far with an old 3IVX component, which gives you a black screen in 10.7. And he even gives us a link uh, on the Telestream site there, which, of course, is the people that make that uh, flip for mac uh, how to fix it. But. He says, this leads me to my last comment, which is not related to flip for mac but I am quite an advanced power user, too, and thought I would share. Absolutely. Uh, You don't need to have DIVX and 3IVX components installed if you have Parian. Parian handles all the MPEG-4 variations that QuickTime does not support. So this is all you need. And here's where it gets geeky and important. It's important to know that QuickTime loads components in alphabetic order. This means that if you have 3IVX, it would get called before DIVX and DIVX would get called before Parian. Uh, all, if all of them claim support for MPEG-4 files, including DIVX within AVI, then Parian would get ignored because the other two would get called first. So this is actually really interesting. It, you know, you could, you could go out of your way and, and do what you're supposed to do and install Parian because that's the one that, keep, that stays up to date and all of that good stuff. If you have three IVX or DIVX, because those claim support for MPEG4, Parian is completely ignored. So, man, that's that's hugely valuable information. Um, makes perfect sense once you know it. So, good stuff for uh, for anybody that's having problems, but uh, certainly good for all of us to check and, and great for uh, those of us in the yeah. troubleshooting field.
1: And and to review, you want to look in either your root library quicktime directory or your user library quicktime directory and that's where you're going to see these dot component files so really the only things that should so yeah for example on
0: this machine i have a divx5 component so that's going to get loaded ahead of time before
1: parrying uh that's very interesting yep, yep. Mm-hmm and I actually had a little note here, I think it was just to me, but uh, from our, our good friend Allison at the No Silicast podcast, who expressed shock and awe that I had components in my one of my QuickTime directories that dated back to 2005. And she's like, you got a nuke and pave, John. And I'm like, you know, I just don't roll that way. But she made an excellent point. And uh, yeah, if, if you see any old crusty things in either of those directories, maybe, maybe you want to clean them out and, and install some newer stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably. Yeah. I, like I said on the last show, I still haven't done it here, mind you. But uh, <laughs> but I definitely need to clean this machine out. I've got stuff going back to 2002 in here, John. I've got quite a few from 2002 and one from 03. Yeah, this is. I'm not going to mess with ma- it
1: now, now. Which machine? Now, this is obviously a machine you did not nuke and pave. No. So this machine, this so is you this migrated. So, so you've upgraded over the years with with uh, subsequent uh, newer versions of OS 10. This machine, right? I'm trying to think of the installation path
0: that I am running. Now, this is a um, an, uh, an aluminum iMac, but not new. It's um, it's a Core 2 Duo, so probably from 7 two gigahertz Core 2 Duo. Um, I think it 's o seven or o eight so uh and the the path that this installation has taken and it's it 's because i didn't want to rebuild the machine on which we podcast so this started life on the dual g four uh that I still have um but i don't use and uh it started life on the dual g four, which is what we used to podcast on when we first started doing the tests of this in Connecticut, John. And I think I started that machine with like ten one or ten two or something, and then it migrated to a a power pc based imac uh and it's not power pc um uh sorry a um yeah would have been was it were imac's power pc am I getting myself confused here, John? Well, uh, if it? I
1: recall, there were uh, the, yeah. And, yeah you know were. how would yeah, yeah. Well, how would you for power PC. yeah okay and a little a little plug here how would you know this you, you would probably get in my favorite program and probably uh, yours too is uh there's a wonderful program called Mac Tracker right which gives you the vintage. Engine, and yes from what I recall there was a iMac uh yeah it was the white the white iMacs that were uh, that were not Intel yeah right okay. yeah okay that's right so, we're
0: good. So, so yeah so it was on that and then that one. Um, I had firewire problems with that one. Um, I, Apple became convinced that those firewire problems were not fixable. And so they agreed to replace that, um, pre Intel iMac with this machine, uh, at no cost to me. Uh, in the end, of course, we had more firewire problems and we realized that it was, uh, well, we moved to USB, right, for the show, and 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 that's what we're on now is our main audio interface, even though we still use the Mackie Onyx board. We don't use the FireWire component of it. But as it turns out, moving from Skype 2 to Skype 5 solved all of those uh, FireWire issues. So a little tangent there, but uh, but we could go back to using the, the FireWire interface on the board. But um, but so that's the installation that this machine has had. So a very, very sorted tale. Um, and and probably at some point should be wiped and and rebuilt. But you know it's working really well. I know for almost certain that if I were to put Lion on this thing and do an upgrade install, you'd be sorry. I, yes, that's a, that's a great way of putting it, Pete. Yeah. Yes, yeah, there would be a lot uh, of of, lot of other things that I would go through in between. Installing Lion and then in the end being sorry, but but uh, but that that would be and the end result. Yes. Rue the day. Ru
2: take to a long way to get that. So let, let me ask a question though, that, to bring you back to that original question. Looking at the Parian and all that uh-huh. stuff, I've got Parian and AC3 movie import, and that's it in my QuickTime. And I can't think of ever being hit with a video. That I can't use. You, you know, I've got the Flip for Mac Pro, but I can't think of being okay. hit with a video format that I can't play. What else you, do you need and, you, and why?
0: You wouldn't. That's yeah. it. Okay. You need All Flip right. for Mac and Parian, and that's it. Now, yeah. you, did you check your main. Uh, Quick time, you're yeah. So if you go, you're probably looking uh, in your home. So that's folder. the home
2: now, and and in the uh, and in the main one, uh, yeah. I've got the Flip for Mac, yep. uh, a couple Google camera adapters, and I sure. don't know what the deal on that is, but uh, and Hard, then,
0: hardware uh, drivers for cameras that huh? you may have used over time. Oh,
2: okay, and yeah. then Apple MPEG2 codec, uh, an yeah. Apple intermediate codec. So,
0: that sounds right. Yeah, and,
2: and uh, you know you throw just about any video format at this thing, and I've never been stumped. So.
1: Yeah, as long I mean, as you the got only, flip, flip for Mac and Perry and you should be good to go. Yeah. The The only thing I would suggest is I've noticed at least with the latest QuickTime player is a lot of times when you double click on a movie, it will sit there. And apparently, as far as I can tell, what it's doing is it's loading the entire movie before it plays it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. QuickTime that, 7 doesn't yeah. seem to. So the only thing I'd offer is that I think VLC is a worthy addition to your video playback library that's true i do it does a number of things but the one thing i noticed is that for videos where QuickTime will sit there and chug on it and again as far as i can tell it's loading the whole thing before it plays it uh vlc will let you play something immediately And, and and i think vlc handles some formats that the other codecs may not or maybe it's just a it's a different player and if you have problems with QuickTime player with some videos like actually I've noticed as of late and I can't figure out what's going on is I've, I have certain videos where I'll load them and I'll load them full screen. If I play them in a window, they play back fine. But if I load them full screen, I'll get this funky kind of it It, it flashes. It's like, uh, I don't think the video is damaged. I don't know. Again, I, I may have to clean up my uh, QuickTime <laughs> codec directory because all of a sudden I've noticed as of late, if I open up the QuickTime 10 player, and play a video full screen not in a sub window but full screen it'll flash I don't know what's going on I'm, huh. I'm still debugging this uh, it doesn't happen under VLC it doesn't happen under QuickTime 7 which I still have on both my machines so I'm I still trying to figure doing it out QuickTime 7 but I guess I don't I had QuickTime 7 Pro
2: or QuickTime Pro 7 and I'm down to just QuickTime player now
1: So, good video tangent.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, VLC VLC has its own codecs uh built in, right? So it it does its own thing. It does not rely on Parian or or anything like that as far as I as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh all right. Uh you know, uh yeah, yesterday, day before yesterday, it doesn't matter. Sometime this week uh Dropbox Announced that they were doubling the credit for all the referrals that uh, would that that you've that you've earned. So previously, if if, for example, um, John referred me to Dropbox, as soon as I signed up and activated my account, John would get a 250 megabyte increase to his uh, Dropbox storage. Well, now uh, that goes to 500 and it goes retroactively. So uh, what was 250 is now 500. And I think John, you've maxed out your referrals and you've got, you've got like
1: 18.2. Is that right? I, I, yeah, I think I saw it. I think it was on, on the second of the, this month, all of a sudden I got an alert, which you can go to Dropbox and say, Hey, what's happened to my account lately. And all of a sudden it said, Oh, by the way, you have now have 18.2 gigabytes where I think before, I think I had 10 point something. So, yeah, thank you Dropbox and i think it's it's to uh well it's to keep up with the joneses or the sugar sinks <laughs> right that's probably right yeah
0: that's right cuz sugar sink does they they give you 500 um for those of you that want more storage space uh google uh sorry google why am i saying google uh, why dropbox 40. if if you um Get on the beta list and John, you're going to tell us how to enable this in the the betas. But if you let the betas do auto updates, remember we talked about this. Uh, There is a version out now that allow that will offer to upload all your photos when you plug a camera in. If you're part of that beta and you can you can enable this in your account somewhere and you figured it out when we talked about it most recently, John. But uh, but if you if you turn that on and then you get that beta version, uh, it will upload those photos. But for every 500 megs of photos that you upload or part thereof, you get an extra 500 megs of storage. So they're essentially giving you free storage uh, for these photos. But here's the trick. If once you get that, it's yours forever, even if you go and delete the photos. So I'm up to uh, 20.2 gigabytes. And I think there's a max on an extra two and a half or three gigs um, that they'll give you. Yeah, so. I, I do the pro, but I'm at 32 gigs of my bonus space. Yes, pro wow. people get a a a larger bonus Man, capacity. I guess they double that. So yes. I'm, I've
2: maxed out at 32 of 32. So I'm I'm a total of 83 gigs, I think, 82.25. Nice. Yeah, it's sweet. The problem is now they've got me hooked. Can't go anywhere else.
0: Well, that's that's <laughs> the idea, isn't it? <laughs> That's how it's. Uh, the first one's free, boys yeah. and girls. That's that's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, that's just a um, taste. That's how it works. Uh, Anything? Did you figure out where to go? Where to I'm tell looking. people to go for that, John? Because <sighs> you did it with your account.
1: Ah, here so we go. Change okay. type. So if you no, if you log into your Dropbox account, you go to account settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'll see a number of tabs and uh. You know, I love it when you put me on the spot here, Dave. I know. But usually I react quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. But yeah. So Dropbox account settings, and then you will see account preferences. And there's a checkbox, which I previously had unchecked. Include me on early releases, I believe, is the box you want to check. Because you know what? I got to tell you is uh, the only problem I have with Dropbox versus Sugar Sync, and, and it sounds like, you know, the Dropbox boys or and girls are really... Uh, stepping up their game here is that their app would almost never update itself on its own. I always had to manually upload it or download it and then update it. If uh, once I clicked on this box, almost immediately when I hovered over the, uh, the icon in my menu bar uh, within a couple of minutes said, Oh yeah, by the way, you're on Dropbox 1.3.25. Cool. Cool. Oh, very cool so 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 in order uh, so it sounds like they're they're changing their game but you have to click on this box the only downside is that you are saying yes i want early releases which as we all know may not uh, i i've had really be, good luck with i, I have too but, the but you dropbox know er, ones. Er, early release. yeah I, I i can't recall when i've ever had dropbox uh, versus things like uh skype which uh you and i just wrestled with before we did the show dave it was a No, pe- we had a some folks uh, i, I uh, no seriously we had we had a skype beta and again you know a lot of people have beta programs and and to me beta means beta but but uh, i've never had a bad experience with a dropbox early release and once they upgraded me to this one and uh you know, upgraded my software. I, I was happy. No, Dave and I, again, before the show, we, we, we were looking at an early release of Skype and, and again, it's an early release. It's to be expected. Yeah. My mission, my, and I don't know if it was them or, or some other software. I'm not going to totally blame them, but that's true. Cause I, the same version worked over here and still is for what it's worth. And it's working now. Yeah. But again, Dropbox, thank you. And they're they're stepping up their game. And uh, I think they're they're definitely a player in the whole cloud. Oh, huge player. service. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they are.
0: All right. Uh, moving right along. Harry. Well, Harry actually sent in a question and then he uh, and then he sent in the answer. So uh, this is not only a question and an answer, but it's a premium question and answer from premium Harry of uh, premium Durham, New Hampshire. So there you go. I think he's in Durham. He's he's somewhere local. Uh, so Harry writes, here's my puzzler for the day. My iPad one running iOS 5.1 has a draft message from December that recently started appearing in my iCloud account and won't go away. The draft message does not show up in the mail app, only in the notification center. It does not show up on any of my other devices running iOS or macOS. I've tried to work through this systematically, but with no luck having it go away. Here are the many steps I've tried. I checked the drafts folder for my iCloud email on all my devices and on the web and I found it to be empty. I tried disabling the iCloud email account on the iPad, restarting the iPad and re-enabling the mail account. This worked for a few minutes, but it rapidly came back. I tried disabling all my email accounts on the iPad and restarting, still no joy. I created another IMAP folder via the iCloud website and assigned it as my drafts folder on the iPad. Frustratingly, it was still there. I disabled mail and notification center and restarted the iPad. The message was gone until I re-enabled notifications for mail. After taking a deep breath, I deleted my iCloud account from the iPad, being sure not to tell to, to tell it not to save any data and restarted the iPad. Yep, still there. At this point, it looked like I didn't have much to lose, so I simply hit send on the draft. It went out and was delivered, but still kept showing up in my notification center. Step eight, step eight involves some language that can't be repeated without losing the clean tag for the podcast and a tall, cold beverage. He says, my Google fool in searches of Apple support were not fruitful with really nothing uh, sounding like the exact problem. And then. mere wow, maybe an hour later, he says, and I was missing something obvious, powering off the iPad and powering it on, holding the home and power buttons cleared the message. Very interesting. So a force restart. Of the iPad fixed this, but remember step uh, seven was sending the draft. And I think that was part of the solution. I think, I think he had to restart it to clear out the, the notification center. But as we heard in, in many of the previous six steps, it would clear out occasionally, but then come back because the draft was still there. So he sent the draft out and then restarted and that cleared things. So, uh, so let that be a lesson to you. I, for, for whatever, I don't know for whatever, whatever it's worth. That could be, you know, if we didn't have the "don't get caught" thing, that that could be a great tagline for the show. Let that be a lesson.
2: There to you. you go. Yeah. But I think the swearing and the beverage probably helped too. Yeah,
0: it I helps have to me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> now I should note uh, that this was sent at seven forty-two a.m. Uh, and then the follow-up was eight fifty-three a.m. an all nighter did he? <laughs> we don't. We don't know when the beverage and the language were involved, but uh, but you know sometimes problems drive us to uh, to 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 you know to the to the brink, as it were. So. Any thoughts there, John? We've we've sort of migrated into question land,
1: so we'll uh, we'll go to Rick next. If uh, if and if I'm going to go to Rick. Go. I'm going to start with Rick because this is. I'm going to have a fist shake here, I think, or a finger wag. But let's start with Rick. Wait, can you wag your 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 fist and shake? I your can finger? wag my fist. Okay. <laughs> it may result in injuries, but I, I will try. So, Rick writes: John, Dave, and Pilot Pete.
0: I'm wait a minute, wait out. a minute, wait a
1: minute. You know, that fish shake. Do you remember where that fish shake came
0: from? Where we we? I mean, obviously, the, we did not invent the fish shake. I, I don't mean to say that. But do you remember when the fish shake started for you and I collectively as a thing that we did together? Do you remember this day? I, I just it just came to all, mind. All I
1: got to say is my inspiration. I believe was the Colbert rapport. Mm -mm. He's done that. Well, he's done that on his show. And at least uh, I I watch him on occasion. And to me, I believe he uses. So that was my inspiration for those uh, terms. Okay, so it actually for you and I, it goes far way further back
0: than that. We went to the very last Apple Fest show that we went to uh, and we went to many of them in Boston that were held at the Heinz Convention Center and they were big deals. Right. Well, mm. the, the very last one was this lame thing somewhere in
1: New Jersey. Uh, do you remember we drove down? It was you, me. Well, it wasn't an Apple Fest. It was a, 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 a faux right. or, or, or mock. <laughs> it, <was laughs> it didn't have the branding that the other ones did.
0: No, it did not. No, that's right. But it was somehow they got our attention in in uh, at being, you know, Apple II geeks. And so we went. It was you, me, uh, my brother, uh, Matt, that went with us. And there were, I think there was one brian? Other person it might have been brian brian Eck. that's right yeah, yeah that's right yep so um and and we were we got there but there was like when we got to this town in new jersey wherever it was there was another
1: computer festival happening too computer right? fest or it was yeah. something fest, and we're like is yeah. this it or is it the right. other one or i i don't know and so we
0: we shook our we went to that one first and realized this is not us And we got out and, you know, went, got back in the car and drove, you know, two blocks down the street to the next whatever thing that had this other festival that we intended to go to. And we went to that. And then as we drove past the the computer fest on our way home, we all rolled down our windows and shook our fists in anger at the uh, at the computer fest for for having bamboozled us. (laughs) And I, 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 I have vivid memories. And then, of course, anything that, you know, the drive home from New Jersey was several hours and so anything that, that, you know, could possibly have upset any one of us in any minor way that resulted in all four of us rolling down our windows and, and shaking our fists in anger. So, so that's what I always think of when, uh, when we shake our fists here. So that's uh, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Okay.
1: Thank you. Sure. So, Hey, back to Rick, Rick writes, John, Dave, and pilot Pete, I'm trying to figure out the best way to set up my address book for families. Currently, I have one entry for a husband and wife because they share the same address and wired phone number. However, it is becoming hard to do this. How do you handle multiple birthdays, cell phones, office phones, email addresses, etc.? Then adding children makes things worse. I know there is a way to relate address book entries, but I don't know how to set it up or if it is the best way. I already have so many address book records that it takes a while to find the one I need. I'm hesitant to double the quantities. Any suggestions or references we appreciate it? And Rick, I'm going to tell you the uh, first off, Dave, you know, I got to say my reflection here. So because in the interest of the listeners here, I maintain both a Snow Leopard and and a Lion machine. No, seriously. Yeah. And I'm, I'm I'm reluctant to upgrade my mini, which is my podcasting machine to Lion, because I still see things that I think they did better. And you know what? I got to say, Dave, honestly, address book in Snow Leopard is better yeah. Address book in Lion. They the three-column screwed- the three view is nice. I agree. Yes, and, and that—that's what I'm going to say here is that they screwed something up big time when they changed the layout. It's pretty. It has textures. It's kind of you know looks nice. It—it's it, uh, the result the of out-
0: it's the result of iOSification.
1: Yeah. Yes. Is they're trying to make it more like the, the the implementation of the address book or contact list on the iDevice? And in my humble opinion they screwed it up. It's worse. I much prefer, as you pointed out, the three column view on Snow Leopard, where you have a group list, a name list, and then the card itself. That being said, the best I could offer him. So Apple does offer for Lion a cute, a nice, uh, well, I don't think it's cute, but no, an article, Mac 101 address book. And this is a tutorial on how to use the address book and how to get the most out of it. And the only thing I could offer Rick out of this is that there are two features that may make your life easier, especially since it sounds like what he wants to do is group entities uh, or families uh, based on a certain level of criteria. And there are two ways to do this in address book. So one is, If you're in the address book view and you highlight a number, uh, so all of this is in the file menu. So the one thing you could do is that if you see a number of entries and you can somehow highlight them. And, you know, this is an old tip, but we'll mention it again, is if you hold down shift and you click on multiple entries, it will let you uh, either shift or option, depending on what you're doing. I'm sorry, I think shift uh, will let you do a range, option will let you do a disjoint selection. But if you do select a number of entries and then you go to file, there will be a selection saying new group from selection. Okay, so that's what you can do. So one thing is you can create a static group and then that will appear, uh, depending on your view in address book, you will see the list of groups that you have defined. That's one way to... List yeah. people or group people. Yeah. The other thing, and this is a bit more advanced, but I think this this may be leaning itself uh, again. How you want to? So it sounds like what Rick wants to do is to group people by some criteria. Now, if you are if you want to group people by family, and you know, again, I gotta think about this. I mean, I would think in the most cases, family, most of them would have a common name. Perhaps not, though. You know, again, if you have people with dash names and stuff uh, like yeah. that. But the, but uh, so so a smart uh, so a new group from selection lets you create a group. And then moving forward, you can certainly drag people from the list into the group to add them. But there's also something called a smart group. And I think that may be what he's looking for. So a smart group is dynamic in that it constantly looks at your entries. And the thing is a smart group, you can say, okay, If somebody has this condition or this condition or this condition, and I'm not going to go into it because it could be anything. It could be an area code. It could be a state. It could be a city. It could be a last name, a first name. uh, uh, I don't know. But I think a smart group, the thing is, you got to scratch your head and think about what criteria would group the people that I want in a group into this smart group. But I think the the smart group is probably the best way that he's going to get to make sense of, uh, you know, all the entries in his address book.
0: Yeah. So um, I have a couple of thoughts on this, and then I stumbled onto Go. something very, very cool that solved a longstanding problem of mine. Um, but first, w- with regards to your smart groups, yeah, it, it would get tough to relate things. People, you, you know, like our family, I mean, my sister is married and so uh, she took her husband's last name. And, and so, you know, you can't just do it by last name, but you can do a smart group by the notes field. So you could put, Uh, you know, Hamilton family in the notes field and then say group everybody where I put that in. Now, of course, that's a manual step, but all you have to do is do it. And now it's automatically in that uh, in that smart group. The other question I would have for Rick, though, is what is your goal here? Why? Why do you want to have one entry for a husband and wife? Um, you, You know. One thing I've noticed that's very interesting is, you know, I have Pete uh, and his wife in my, uh, in my address book. And, uh, and, and when either one of them calls me from their home number, because I have the home number in there, um, it says, you know, on the phone, it says Pete, and uh, I'm not going to give your, your wife's name or any of that. But for example, yeah, when, when I call Pete, (laughs) when I call Pete, (laughs) When I call Pete, he has Lisa and myself in his in his uh, phone and 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 he has our home number in there in both records. And so it'll actually come up and say Dave or Lisa Hamilton uh, on the phone. And that's that's the phone itself relating the two records together on the fly as it's, you know, interpreting the caller ID. So so there's I, I bring that up only because. Rick may not be aware that that his iDevice is going to do it. I don't know if that's the reason he wants to keep the records together, but um, but but there's there's a lot of good reasons to have a separate record per person. Like you said, birthdays and and all this other stuff, email addresses um, and and that along the lines of email addresses. I've used groups for a while uh, and I've used them for I only have a handful of them, but I use them all the time. And there's been something that's driven me crazy. For example, uh, I have a group that I call MGG notify and it's got three people in it. Two of them are, well, I was going to say in the room, but you're not technically in the room with us, John, but two of them are on this podcast, Mm -hmm. Pete, John, and then Michael Johnston who converts the show to, to AAC. And, and I can type MGG notify and it puts all three of you guys in my um, address, you know, in the two field in an email, And then I can just fill out the email, which is great. Saves me from having to type all three of your names, except I stopped using it because I have multiple email addresses for you, John, and for Michael, and it never would choose the one that I wanted it to choose. Which was, you know, made it that I had to go back and edit it anyway. So for a long time now, I've just been putting in, you know, I didn't want it to go to your home address. I wanted to go to John at MacObserver.com. I know it wouldn't matter with you, but I didn't want your home address being publicized to anybody that that email might be forwarded to, etc. But today I found out a very interesting thing. Uh, I stumbled on it and it exists in Snow Leopard and and Lion, and it probably exists in, in prior iterations of the OS, too. If you go to the edit menu in address book and you go to edit distribution list, it shows you all your groups. And if you click on, for example, if I click on the MGG notify group, it shows me all the email addresses for each person. And then it lets me highlight one of them to be the one that it chooses. So, for example, John, for you, I have three addresses. I've got your home address. I've got your John at MacObserver.com. And then I've got your uh, Mac.com address. It had. Your uh, home address highlighted. But all I have to do is click on the John at MacObserver.com one. And that now is the one that it uses when I choose the MGG notify group. And I have a group like that for fling one of the bands I play in. And again, I'd stopped using that for all the same reasons. And today I was able to solve that problem. So uh, I had no idea that this exists. And it's always been there under edit uh, distribution list up there in the edit menu. So I throw it out there. Good, right?
1: Cool. Throw away, brother. And you
0: apparently, wait a minute, you can do this with phone numbers, too. Very interesting. I can set default phone numbers for people as well. Oh, I like this. And default addresses, too. Oh, look at that. Isn't that nice? This is awesome. That's cool.
1: Sure. And actually, a general tip here is that, so we'll link to an article here that gives you the basics of address book. But if you, you want to whip out the Google foo. If you search for pretty much any topic that's relevant to the Mac and put a one oh one on it, Apple will probably have an article like this here. They have an article called Mac one oh one address book, which we'll link to. And it basically delved into the mysteries of the latest address book and how you can get it these things like smart groups. So cool. Cool. That's awesome. All
0: right. Is it time to uh is it time to move on to uh, to Paul? I guess here, John. I Is suppose. Right? All right.
1: I hope we're going to get done here. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah. Well, you
0: Andrew's know. address
1: book got a lot deeper than I thought, but it's a, it's a relevant topic. But no, that's uh, good. Yeah, Paul has a, a a good question or concern. He does. Uh, All
0: right. Uh, Paul writes, and I am going to read this email the way Paul wrote it, and then we're going to talk about uh, terminology because I think uh, terminology has led Paul astray. Perhaps. Uh, Paul writes. I wonder if you might be able to lend your expertise to a problem that's been perplexing me for a little while now. It's to do with getting, over time, repeated bad block errors reported in Disk Utility that I then need to fix with Drive Genius 3. Drive Genius usually does the trick, but it's happened four times now over the space of six months. I thought the first time it was a result of a bad drive, I have a momentous XT 500GB, so I swapped it out for a new one, 750 Uh, But I just now had my first bad block error with the 750 gig drive about three weeks after I put it in. Apple also replaced the eSATA cable when I was using the older drive because they thought that might not be conveying data correctly. I've just had my second bad block error uh, and he's attached a screenshot, which we'll talk about uh, with the new 750 gig drive with the new cable. Do you think it's just a case of my momentous drives being rubbish? uh and being unlucky (laughs) enough to have had two dodgy ones or do you think it could be anything else i rang up apple care and spoke to a very nice chap about the possibility of it being something else to do with my mac but he said he thought it was pretty much all down to two dodgy drives i should say that along the way i've wiped the 500 gig drive after receiving one bad block error and reinstalled lion fresh migrating my data from a super duper clone when it went bad again, I fixed the disk corruption with Drive Genius and put in the new 750 gig drive, again with a fresh install of the OS and migrating my data. I first suspected more disk corruption this afternoon when Superduper failed to clone my drive. Uh, and sure enough, disk utility showed another incidence of disk corruption that it couldn't fix, but Drive Genius did. I've used Onyx with both drives mentioned above to also clean up anything that might be wrong with caches, fonts, etc., etc. Uh, this has gotten so bad that I've turned off File Vault 2 and not re-enabled it as each time I get the disk corruption, I have to unencrypt the drive to fix it. I'd be grateful for any pearls of wisdom you could toss my way. OK, uh, normally we don't talk about screenshots because they're uh, they're tough to see. But what he when he 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 said that he has bad blocks. However, uh, when he runs disk first aid, it's important to note that disk first aid does not find bad blocks on your hard drive. When, when, when we talk about, there's two things we talk about here and it's very important to make this distinction. Bad blocks refers to physical errors on the disc. The hard drive is segmented into uh, a lot of different parts that each one is called a block. And uh, it's possible because discs are physical things, that those can get damaged and be unreadable or unwritable or both. And then the system has to stop using that block. Typically one or two of these on a drive is no big deal. And the drive today's drives will actually auto map them out of the way most of the time. And you won't even know that this is happening, but if you get too many of them, uh, they tend to grow kind of like a cancer on the drive, if you will. And at that point, you know, the, the right move is to replace the drive. So that's bad blocks, hardware problems,
1: physical uh, deficiencies or problems with the disk. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, to me, a bad block is a, a part of the hard drive where if you put data there and then you come back later, what was there is not the same. Or or not available. The, right. One or the other. Or not available. And, yeah. it, and, and again, as you pointed out, but yeah, I, I think the key here is that you have two types of errors you have hardware or physical errors where where the media is somehow corrupted. There's a piece of dust, uh, the, the, you know, something uh, or there could be a nick in the, in the platter on the drive or the flash memory is defective and that the, 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 the media itself is unreliable. Right. So that, and that's a hard, what I, what I call a hard or hardware or hard error. Right. And And that that, that to me is what a bad block is. And I don't know if necessarily all the errors we've seen uh, uh, to let you continue, Dave, but but I want to be clear that, you know, hardware errors are rare, but they do happen. And 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 yeah, most drives can detect that and say, all right, this block, uh, I don't know, it's wonky. It's just it's not responding. It's not consistent. I'm going to just eliminate it from the equation.
0: So so and that's right. And and a lot of times drives will actually ship with spare blocks that can be swapped in as mm-hmm. as replacements so that you don't actually lose storage again up to a point. But that's hard hardware errors. What and disk utility does not check for these when you choose verify disk under disk first aid or first aid is the tab. What Disk Utility checks for is it checks, well, I call it the table of contents of the disk because it, it that's a concept that, that that's easy to talk about, but it's the catalog or the file system uh, of the disk. And it even says that when you choose verifying volume uh, or repair volume, it says checking file system. What this is, is as I said, the table of contents, it is a spot on the disk where um, a list, if, if you will, of all the things that exist out there on the disk is kept, and it's so that you know. You know, a hard. Let's say um, uh, you might have a a, a a picture, and that picture, just for the sake of argument, takes up ten blocks. Well, you need to know where those blocks are, and they might be all together, they might be scattered apart. But the file system, the catalog, the table of contents, keeps track of where they all are on the disk, so that when you want to access that file, it knows where to where to send you. So what what's happening is disk utility is checking to make sure that that table of contents is not corrupt. And in uh, Paul's case, it found an incorrect block count. Uh, and then it found that the volume bitmap, 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 bitmap needed minor. Try saying premium 10 times fast uh, needed minor repairs. It found an invalid volume free block count. And then it said that the volume was found corrupt and needs to be repaired. And then it said, but I can't repair it. Uh, and, 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 and you're right. Um, Drive Genius will do a better job at repairing some things uh, than disk utility will. So but these are not hardware errors. Now, they could be caused by hardware errors. Again, anything that has to do with with corruption could be caused by a hardware error. But problems with the file system uh, can happen for a lot of other reasons. If your Mac is not shut down properly, uh, if, you know, you force restart or lose power that can cause file system corruption. Many other things can, in fact, it tends to happen to most computers over time for apparently no good reason. Although there's always a reason we just don't remember what it was. Uh, if you want to, because he has drive genius, uh, Drive Genius does have the ability to scan the the physical disk and and I would certainly recommend doing that here to rule out any hardware problem, and you use the scan function uh, which does a surface scan of the disk and make sure that all of the blocks can be read from but uh but otherwise, you know these these types of things that you see in disk utility do not indicate that there is necessarily a hardware malfunction that needs to be replaced right Any thoughts on that, John?
1: I'm sure. Of course. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I would say that, that that would help you identify hardware problems is something called SMART. Sort of. You've heard about it? Uh, sort I wouldn't of, trust but it. No, it, uh, it. It's a mechanism that is meant to try and identify hardware errors, okay? It, 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 well, it, it can, but it may not. It's but, but, it's, oh.
0: it's a mechanism by which the... I, I'd like to clarify that. It's a mechanism by which the drive has the ability to report that it yes. has hardware errors such that you need to take
1: action. Correct. Okay. So SMART stands for Self-Monitoring Analysis and Reporting Technology. And a lot of drives and a lot of Apple computers have the ability to report if... Uh, to report their smart status. Like one thing that I use, which, which I like, is a little, little uh, thing in the menu bar called smart reporter. Also, if you run disk utility and you click on a drive that is directly connected, smart is not available, at least on the Mac, on drives that are connected by USB or FireWire. It's only uh, uh, drives that are, uh, I guess, uh, SATA drives. Um, and if they feel that something is wrong with the hardware, they may report their SATA status, status is bad, and again disutility will report this also uh, the this, this little ditty I mentioned smart reporter will report this and will you know if you if you like we'll email you saying, Hey, you know the strive said it it's probably failing now, now I'm with you, Dave is that a lot of times maybe when it reports the problem it's it, it may be too late, but it, it's certainly better than nothing
0: uh- yeah, i agree drive drive genius actually also will monitor smart. Uh, If you install their drive pulse uh, Ah. utility, which is actually cool because not only does it monitor smart, but it monitors fragmentation level of a drive and it'll alert you when you're
1: getting to to certain points with, with, I'm glad you mentioned that. Actually, I would say they are better than smart and not only. Yeah. But yep. will you get the smart status, but it will report fragmentation. Whether you care about that or not, that's whatever. Right. Uh, but but they also do a drive verify on occasion and a volume consistency check. So it runs that in the background. I have it actually on my mini here and I'm looking at it right now. So so they're they're like a background thing, which probably should be included with the OS, but isn't at least not yet. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and we'll tell you so. Yeah, so so I'm with you in in that what, what Paul is seeing is probably not physical bad blocks, but it's it's drive corruption. And well, how do you protect against that? Well, doing backups.
0: Yeah, it's file system <laughs> corruption. It's just yeah, and and you know the 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 way to protect it. It's weird. It is weird that he's seeing this after only three weeks. Now, if he's constantly in a situation where. Um, you know, he's he's getting lightning storms and his power is going out, then that makes sense. But otherwise, you know, in the course of three weeks, it's not typical that you'd have a level of corruption that disk utility simply couldn't fix. Um, It is important to note, though, that disk utility cannot fix a disk that you've booted from. Now, I think in his case, he did not boot from from this disk, uh, although he may have. Uh, but, uh, but you, you need to boot from your, um, you can boot from your lion recovery partition. It can fix, it can fix a volume that way, but, um, but, but you can't fix the, vo- the volume that you've booted from just.
1: So. And also, I don't know if I'd blame the momentous. Uh, some people have no. mixed feelings in that it's a hybrid drive. It has a large, so it's, it's kind of an SS it has a large cache, but it's a uh. still a physical drive. So it's probably nope. more
0: susceptible to these types of problems. If you it, 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 in in that, if I have a regular hard drive on my machine or or a regular right. SSD and I have a power outage, that's going to um, it, cause some minor corruption potentially. Meh. But 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 the larger the cache you have, although the cache in the momentous is is flash RAM. So it should persist after a reboot. Right. Or after a power outage? I don't know
1: if it's flash, but... but I thought,
0: thought it was. I thought that was the whole idea behind it, right? It was it was half, or not half, but part SSD and part mechanical drive.
1: All I know is that there, there have been uh, minor issues with the firmer and the momentous drives that, that that I've heard from some of my Mac friends. And, you know, if anything, make sure that your uh, momentous XT has the latest Seagate... Uh, uh, Seagate right firmware yeah, yeah, it's Seagate, yep, yep, but no, I don't think a drive itself is is necessarily uh, no, actually bring up a good point, Dave, because the thing is a cache is a, a a piece of memory, I don't know if it's flash, I think it may be static, so yeah i mean if you if you if you lose juice, you may be in trouble with that drive, yeah, I don't yeah. know, I can't speak to it, I'm actually uh looking to uh actually I think my next drive. Uh, beyond a huge uh, uh, mechanical drive. Maybe one of the momentous drives because uh, what is next? Uh,
0: Let's go to uh, you want to do you want to do. Let's do Ronald. That's a good one. Okay, you you want to read it? Are you ready?
1: (laughs) Which means I have to bring it up, which I got it. All right, go. I think I do. Wait. Uh, Hold on. Hold on. Okay, here we go. Oh, OK, good lead in J and D, which huh. <laughs> not not to be
0: confused with you, J.D., but, you know, I you know, I skip those when I read the things. I, I don't I, I, I just noticed it because I I
1: I just get a kick out. Of I them. know
0: I, I'm going to start reading them. I, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> but as I got like right into the second line of of Paul's
1: thing, I realized, wow, I just skipped the intro and and, and John likes to but to Ron writes. It, so I will. So it's yeah, J and D. Which is, of course, Sean and Dave. Sorry to bother you again, which, of course, you're not bothering us. What we do. So soon. But again, my aging Mac Pro 1,1. 1, 1. Oh, my goodness. 2.66 dual-core Xeon 5100 has memory problems. Actually, so do I, but that's another story. Lately, the Finder and other programs chew up a large chunk of memory so that only a sliver of free memory is left out of my 8 gigs this occurs even after programs that are open but idle heck the finder is using 150 megabytes when only my more recent macbook pro only uses about 50 megabytes i recently threw in the towel and reinstalled lion from scratch and reinstalled the programs i really needed hopefully unloading lots of crap but nothing has changed Earth Desk, a really cool desktop map of the globe which updates in real time, uses significant RAM, but then their website claims it is usable by other programs, if needed. Sugarsync recently threw out an update that fixed the problem on my MacBook Pro, but not the Mac but not the uh Mac Pro. I do not have this issue on my more recent Thunderbolt MacBook Pro. Is there any hope for my aged companion? And here we go. So Go. he sent us, uh, and and this is my take on this, and you may have a different take here, but I basically re- replied to him. From what I can see, you have a good amount of memory in the inactive state, and this is what we saw. So in a screen snapshot, so again, this machine, which is a older machine that has the Xeon 5100, I believe has eight gigs of RAM, and it showed about... Uh, and how do you how do you see these values, you may ask? And I'm going to tell you. You go to the activity monitor, and if you go to the activity monitor and you click on the system memory tab, you will see a number of categories of RAM. And they'll be free, wired, active, inactive, and used. And what I noticed in his screen snapshot, which oddly enough I can't see in here, Dave... I thought you would send this to me, but that's okay. I you can I, blame I,
0: me. Hey, hey, hey! You put that. You made this PDF, man, not me. This is all one hundred percent you. I've never seen Ron's screen snapshot, but I can find that's it. That's
1: okay. Okay, that's okay. But no, anyways, from what I recall, from my 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 uh, memory here, is that his snapshot showed about a gigabyte in the inactive state, huh? Now, it showed a few other things, but the thing is, just because it showed that led me to believe that this is uh, not an immediate problem. All right, so what I suggested to him is, from what I can see, he he has a good amount of memory in the inactive state. While this should eventually be released, and and the, the, the thing is, let's talk about what inactive means, Dave. The inactive is memory that's been recently used by an application, and I think it's sitting there waiting to perhaps be used... In the near future,
0: yeah, I think of it like a um, a cache. It's data. It's data that the system doesn't need, but it has already bothered to load into memory. So it's going to simply keep it there until you need that RAM for something else. Because on the off chance, or perhaps the on chance, that you need what's sitting in that inactive or that cache, well, it's right there. It's just memory that that the apps, um, for, to simplify it, uh, has marked as free, and and we don't really need this. But go ahead and keep it around because we might, and it'll save time. We don't need to reload it from the disk. So um, I don't. I mean that's how Unix is supposed to work. The the in the screenshots that he sent, he has uh, eight gigs of RAM total, and there's about two hundred megs free. And then there was uh three point, almost four gigs in inactive. To me, that's a system that's running really, really well. Uh, if you see your free get below about 50 megs, then you know that you're running up against a memory wall because the system typically won't put you in that situation. It, it typically is going to keep more than 100 megs or so free. Uh, But but if you if you so if you see it below below 100 and certainly below 50, then you know that you are asking uh, the system to use more RAM than you have available. Uh, And that would be a good indication if that happens on a regular basis. That's a good indication that you need uh, more RAM. You can also look at, at how much swap size has been used. And in his screenshot, swap used is 38 megabytes, which is nothing. You know, if your swap, right. is, if your swap is more than I would say more than 500 megs uh, on a regular basis, again, you're using more RAM than you have. Um, but otherwise, th- this is a this is OK. And it's it's actually something you don't really want to worry about. You know, don't worry about what inactive is. Worry about what free is and what swap is. And I think those are going to be your indicators for for what you need. However,
1: however, if you want to, so if you see inactive being large, in this case it was, and you want to make that free, you can use, and I did find a utility, and both you and I, Dave, verified that it does do what it states, but there is a utility in the App Store, and we'll link to it, of course, in the, the uh, lovingly crafted show notes, called Free Memory. And from what I can tell, I'm not sure what mojo they're using, but they basically will force inactive memory to become free. Hmm. Now I'm trying to think about, you know, I mean, do you, do you necessarily want to second guess the operating system as far as this is concerned? But the, the other observation I had as far as his memory stats is that his page outs were really not that large. If you look at the activity monitor screen and and look at the, the, the memory tab, you're going to see page outs. Page outs is the thing you want to worry about because when you see page outs, what that means is memory is being written from RAM to disk. And because disk performance is orders of magnitude lower than memory, you will see your system becoming a slug. So... That is the only, uh, because I didn't see that. When I looked at his screen, you, you, you have it in front of you, Dave. Yeah. Uh, uh, the recent, uh, so the other thing is, if you look in activity monitor, you're going to see a total count of page outs, and then you'll see in parentheses a recent count. And if the recent count is zero, which is, uh, from what I recall in his screenshot, it was zero, you're, you're not suffering from any performance degradation due to page outs or the system writing out swap files, plus his swap file was, was puny. So well, that
0: and that that, that um, I I would be, uh, well, I'm I'm either hesitant or curious or both. Uh, how to read? I don't. I wouldn't know what kind of a number of page outs would be uh, considered bad. Uh, you know, on okay. on my machine here, I've got three hundred seven seventy megs of page outs, but swap used is only seventy megabytes. So I, I'm I'm not sure. I think that's
1: probably a better indication of yeah, looking at. at swap used. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because because I mean, you you know, I mean, if your machine's been running for weeks, page outs could be a fairly large number, even sure. if it's only little bits over time. Right. You, you know what I mean? So so I think I think swap used is probably a better, better place to place to look. Just because it's, you're not right. getting some cumulative number that's that that's not really necessary. You'd have to you'd have to do a lot of math and a lot of figuring to 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 figure out what's going on there.
1: Yeah, right. So I think to Ronald, I I would say it, it's good that he's keeping a number on these uh, an eye on these numbers. But I I from what I can see again from from what he showed us in the screenshots, I don't think he's doing too bad. Yeah, I think I think you're fine. And yeah. I think he wrote back and he said, yeah, I read free memory. And sure enough, it, you know, <laughs> took my inactive and made it free. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, you you got to take this stuff in context. I mean, although the numbers may look bad. I mean, is your system being a pig? If it is, then yeah. Yeah. You may want to <laughs> rethink. And, and I, I I guess the thing we've, we've always mentioned, and, and it sounds like he's doing is, you know, if you're not using an app, close it. It's going to be using memory. Right.
0: Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that, that is good policy. It's just especially if you don't reboot your Mac a lot. Uh just quit apps when you realize you've got, you know, no windows open and, and all of that. I know Lion's supposed to manage it better than it ever has, blah, 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 whatever. Um just you sound quit, cynical, Dave. Just quit the apps. Look, it's not that big of a deal. You just relaunch them later. It's you know, come on. Uh all right. Let's uh let's see here. All right, we can do we can do Jeremy. That's that's a good one. That's a good one here. Uh Jeremy writes Dave, John, and Pilot Pete, alphabetical, so no one gets upset. Listening to episode 389 reminded me of an issue I have seen lately in Snow Leopard and the applications folder. When I try to put an application into the trash, I have to enter my admin password. I don't remember having to do this before. I don't use that many apps that didn't come with my machine, and I delete even less. So I don't know exactly where this started. I couldn't figure out why my apps needed an admin password to be removed. Then I looked at my applications folder, the one in my home directory. Surprise, it was empty. All my apps appear to be installing in the uh, main applications folder, which explains the password issue. Now, my question, how do I direct installs on where to go? I looked in finder system preferences and the app store, but I don't see an option as to where apps are installed. This seems like something that should be pretty easy, especially since OS 10 has multiple applications folders. Okay. Let's, uh, let's back up a little bit here. Number one, uh, no great surprise that your, uh, applications folder in your home directory is empty. Nothing will install there by default. Uh, And there is to answer one of your questions. There is no way to tell things to install there by default. If you're running an application installer or if you're dragging an application from a disk, you certainly can choose to put it in that applications folder. Uh, But but uh, anything that is installed from the app store And by default, typical application installers are just going to put things in the main applications folder on the hard drive. That is where the system expects to see them. Um, As far as the password thing, the way that works is you can delete things that you own. But if you do not own them, then you need to put your password in to delete it presuming that you're an admin uh, user if you're not then even putting your password in won't delete it because you don't have the rights to uh, to become an administrator so it's is it possible that these apps were migrated over as part of a migration assistant install because that could have inherited the uh, a different user account ID that would then put you in in that uh, in that situation all right who's breathing into the mic I'm hearing somebody breathe into the mic I don't know who it is but I'm hearing it all the time. I think it's, is it up? All right. Anyway, um, the, uh, the, uh, so, so I think that's, I run into that problem occasionally here on this machine because uh, Lisa and I both use it at different times. So sometimes when I go to remove an application, it asks me for my password because it's one that was updated. You know, when, if she runs an app and it says I have an update and she says, yeah, go ahead and update. Well, now she owns that app. And if I, if I go to remove it, Then it asked me for my password, and the same thing would happen to her. So, um, so that it's it's not all that odd, but there should there is a reason for it, and you you can probably look, you know, just do a get info on one of those apps and see who the owner is. That'll tell you, right? Finder
1: file get info, take a look at the bottom. Yep, yep. Any thoughts? My only thought is the only time I've seen that is when I've been running as a non-standard account. Oh, yeah, that's you know, true. Or a non-admin right. account. Right. I mean, if, if you're a non-admin account and you try to whack applications or install them or or, or a lot of things, it'll say, uh, dude, you can't do this. I need a, an administrator password. So I'm wondering if this account in question has been somehow either it is a standard account or a normal account or it's somehow been been switched to that. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Non-admin accounts can't do anything to the applications folder. So, um, so that would be, that would be one thing, but I don't, I don't think that's what's going on here because if you have a non-admin account, it doesn't just ask you for your password. It asks Mm. you for, it asks you for a username too, because you have to put in some, some other username to do that. All right um you know i uh, I think uh I think that that almost wraps us up for uh, the day but Pete you had uh you had something related to the address book discussion I did I want to go back to that because I was having the here. same
2: distribution list problem you were having and you when you passed that along about editing that I went and looked and uh many of you will probably find what I found which is edit distribution lists is grayed out oh my God, what to do so I Found uh, what you need to do is go into System Preferences, iCloud, and uncheck syncing for your for your contacts. Once you uncheck it, you can go back to add start Address Book up again. Quit Address Book first. Go back to Address Book, then you can edit your distribution list. Close Address Book. Go back and recheck syncing. Don't and be sure to tell it, hey, don't delete my uh, contacts on this machine when you uncheck syncing. But uh, you cannot edit your distribution list when your iCloud syncing is turned on.
0: So, now that's odd because yeah. I'm I'm doing mobile me syncing for those and uh, yeah iCloud and mobile me
2: are I'm finding are different in so many ways. Wow, <laughs> good find, Pete. So, yeah, yeah, I thought I'd pass that along because uh, yeah,
0: because most people are probably in the iCloud boat.
2: Yep, yeah, yeah, they're going to want to do that and they're going to go. Gee, why is that grayed out? What is it? What am I missing? Yeah, <laughs> so hopefully it yeah. uh, solved the problem before it started for you.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Pete. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. That's good. Anything else, Mr. Braun, before we, uh, before we
1: wrap this one up? No way. No way. All right. Well... How uh, can you reach us, Dave? And I'm going to tell you. You know what? Because you're kind of sitting there just playing the music. That's what I'm doing. How can you reach us? If you want to reach us, probably the first way is you could carefully craft an email. And if you're going to do that, you want to address it to premium at mattkeekab.com. Did you say premium at com. You heard me right, brother. Premium at com, And you can put text, screenshots, audio, uh, whatever you can put in an email. The more the better, actually. You you, want to make uh, sure that's a premium (laughs) email, though. I mean, that, it, I guess by definition, it's a premium email. You got number Is there a about. premium tag? Uh, uh, I, I do not believe the standards yet support the MacGeek App premium tag, but we're, ahead, we're working on we're it. We're ahead of the curve on that one. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but other than email,
0: what else, Dave? Uh, you can call know, us at 206 666 Geek, which is. 4335. thirty-three five. And it's actually four three three five premium. Is what that is. That, that's what? how that translates to the phone system. That's right. Mm. Yep. yep. K K in this in this instance uh, translates to both five and premium simultaneously when it's translated to the uh, to the phone system. You bet. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> uh, let's see. You can uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can find the show at twitter.com slash MacGeekGab. You can find John at John F. Braun, Pete at Pilot Pete, and myself at uh, Dave Hamilton. I don't know why I said myself. Me at Dave Hamilton. Myself would be use. the wrong thing to use there. Use. It's like use pre-
1: pretentious grammar. Premium grammar, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> Skype. Yes. Skype to MacGeekGab. That's right. What else? Facebook, even though they totally screwed up, in my humble opinion, their fan pages or member pages, whatever you want to call them, but Facebook.com slash Gap. And you can go there for alerts as to when the show is updated, uh, show notes, and just when the show is uh, published, as well as Gap Twitter feed. Just awesome. to let you know. All
0: right. Well, we'd like to thank uh, Michael Johnston, who we mentioned earlier, but he's the one that converts the show to AAC. He also does that We Have Communicators podcast, which is an excellent show for anyone interested in iOS stuff. So go ahead and, uh, and check that out. And uh, and then, of course, we'd like to thank the folks at Cashfly, dot com, for the, uh, the bandwidth in order to get the show from us Indeed. to you. let that be a lesson to you a premium lesson
1: made up